Hello there. Welcome to the Heavy Hole Podcast. My name is Tom. My name is Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. My name is Justin. Hello, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> Hello today? there. What's going on? I'm, I'm okay, Justin. How you doing, man? Doing pretty well. A uh, few too many pina coladas uh, in the past 24 hours, but, you know, we've all been yeah. there. So, Jesus. Um, you know, we're working. Slow down. Jimmy Buffett right off the bat. What is going on here, man? Do you have any of those Tommy Bahama chairs? <clears throat> yeah, several. Uh, I've never bought one in my life, and somehow I have more than uh, more than I need, for sure. It's a great combination. Yeah. Do you have a Salt Life uh, bumper sticker on your truck? No, or no, I do not. Uh, <laughs> uh, I do not, no, I do not uh, have a Salt Life. I do not have a I Wish I, I Was at the Beach um, painted piece of driftwood in my bathroom either. So, yeah. <laughs> we, I could make that happen for you, man. We'll get the oil paints out and everything. We'll get silly with it, man. Don't worry about it. <laughs> You're always looking out for me. I appreciate it. Yeah. Tom, how are you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Enjoying this weather. It's beautiful outside. A refrigerator died. I think I may have mentioned that the last episode. It doesn't matter. You know, I'm staying busy. So, uh, okay. we got a new fridge. That's the update. That keeping cool. Yes. All right. I like that, man. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. about you, Will? How you been? Doing all right, man. Um, uh, you know, it's like I said, I've been back to work, uh, helping trying to take care of uh, some, pe- some of my people, man. And um, like everybody, I think, uh, following current events. Um, a real, real tough times out there lately, man. And uh, you know, we just uh, we, we love all of our listeners and supporters, and uh, you know, we hope everybody's staying safe and staying strong out there, man. It's uh, it's tough, and we're just trying to bring everybody, like we always say, the best uh, underground death metal content we can in this podcast as we try to keep moving with the times. It's tough, man. Yeah, we got to roll with it too. Yep, seeing a lot of yeah. bands out there uh, being active, you know, uh, supporting uh, positive causes out there with their merchandise. Um, you know, with the platform that they have to uh, to get their stuff out there, and I'd love to see it. Yeah, uh, seeing the music scene kind of, I, I feel like this, um, uh, you know, everybody's been indoors for the last few months, uh, the coronavirus and all that sort of thing, and a lot of artists now, you're seeing people, uh, they had the Bandcamp Friday thing, that'll be over with by the time people hear this episode, but a lot of people selling merch and um, putting their merch up for charitable causes, uh, uh, things, things of that nature. I see that, so it's kind of, it's kind of causing a stir in the underground for a positive reason. So that's, and that's been good to see, man. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. And our guest tonight is also somebody known to be a bit of a community activist herself, and in at least one of her many different bands that she's been in over the years, uh, speaking her mind about uh, social and political views. Uh, our guest tonight is none other than Metal Mary Bielik. Uh, guitarist of Derkata and bass player of Mud City Manglers, Behind Enemy Lines, as well as former member of November's Doom, Penance, uh, and Mythic, amongst other bands. Excellent. I am very excited for this. Oh, yeah. Stop making her wait. Get her on the phone. Mary Bielik. Uh We have Mary Bielik on the line. Um, and Mary, thanks so much for your time. We appreciate you joining us. Hi, guys. Hi, Justin. Hi, Tom. Hi, Will. What's up? Oh, not too much. Uh, oh, yeah. Thank you so much. Thanks for asking. 
Yeah, maybe the maybe the first guest like right off the bat just asking how we're doing. That's why I, I like. That. Oh, you know, it's everyone should be asking how you're doing. You guys are in charge here, large and in charge. Oh. Take notice, everybody. Wow. Mary Bielik, uh coming into the Heavy Hole podcast and uh, uh, taking over early, man. This is great. Um, Mary, we, we really appreciate your time. And what we did behind the scenes have a few technical difficulties, and we appreciate you hanging with us. Um, so we're going to get into the thick of things right now. You talked about Pittsburgh. Are you from, originally from Pittsburgh? I am originally from Pittsburgh, yes. Yes, I have probably spent most, yeah, I've spent most of my life in Pittsburgh. Um, did do a little stint in Indiana, as in the States, not Indiana, PA. So I, I had the um, the formulative years of, you know, my life in Pittsburgh, and then teenage years, Indiana, and then back in Pittsburgh, uh, when I attended the University of Pittsburgh. So I was back and then lived in Chicago for a little bit. But yeah, pretty much Pittsburgh, actually, at my age now, I would say would be about like 90% of my life. All right, Pittsburgh all the way. And you've listened to the show before. You know that we always ask, are you from, uh, and I'm going to add something to this question, are you from a particularly musical family? Uh, and also, are you from a particularly mechanically inclined or blue collar family? No, and well, no, and no from the mechanic side. Um, musically, I come from a family, I would say, of music lovers, um, but nothing, not, it didn't go beyond hobbies, you know, so they were more like, they, they played records more than they played any sort of instrument, although everybody dabbled a little bit, which was cool, and, it, and that dabbling did, you know, was influential just to sort of know that it existed. You know, although I never picked up the trumpet, and that's what my brother played. I kind of wish I would have at this point. But, um, you know, being the big Chuck Mangione fan that I am, which is a little bit facetious there. Um, and as far as mechanics go, new, no. new, no, new, no, new. No. no mechanics in the family. Um, uh, probably, I would say, well, yeah, in the extended family, but not in the immediate family. I think my interest in doing that. Uh, we come from a, you know, from a steelworking family, but also people branched out into other fields. Um, but the mechanics came from being in bands in, you know, particularly in my 20s when I, I had the opportunity to do a little bit of, you know, uh, you know, you're in the punk band and you get in the van and you drive around the country, which means you're breaking down all around the country. And, yes. you know, you do it enough and you just, you know, the, the feeling of helplessness. And one day you just sort of say to yourself, I want to know how to do this. So it kind of took me a long time to get into it. I didn't actually start working on cars until mm, middle aged, you know, and now I'm like middle, middle aged. So, you know, <laughs> but it was something that I always wanted to do, but that's why. So it was always, you know, it was always on like, the, I'm going to go to school. I'm going to learn how to you know, work on cars and, you know, people say, you don't have to go to school to do that. I'm like, well, if you don't know shit, you do, you know, you got to start somewhere. So, um, yeah, am I allowed to yeah. swear? I don't know if I'm allowed to swear. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I, I just, yeah. I know other people, I know other people have, I didn't know if I was allowed to swear. So <laughs> That's your decision. We leave that up to you. <laughs> so, Talk yeah, shit. No, that's, that was pretty much how that happened. It was basically, that was something I kind of found on my own. And it was just through like being inquisitive over the years of sort of like being in situations where it was like, it would be great to know this. It would be great to know this. It would be great to know this. Hmm. So, you know, finally made it happen after, you know, 40 years. Yeah, and uh, as you know, as someone I've I've done a little bit of touring myself here and there. It's always good to have somebody who's mechanically inclined on the road with you. 
Um, and I, I, I have some questions for you about that and about touring specifically that I want to get to later. But to the flip side of that, you said there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like you come from a whole family of musicians or anything of that nature. Where do you become interested, particularly in, uh, I guess, hard rock, punk, metal, whatever it is, and the idea of participating in it? You know, I think it was starting uh, pretty. You guys probably hear this all the time. I know I've, I've, I've heard. A lot of people allude to this, but it was all about having older siblings, you know, as far as rock yeah. goes, you know what I mean? Because obviously my parents are considerably older, and I do love a lot of big band and a lot of crooners and a lot of the stuff that they listen to. But when it comes to, it was all older brothers and sisters and the neighborhood teenagers, the older kids. So we were listening to some pretty, you know, we were lucky that I'd say my sister, who's about two years older, we were, we were listening to some pretty progressive stuff for like eight-year-olds you know we were listening to you know bowie and we were listening to the sweets you know and then of course there's bands like zeppelin and sabbath and you know it was just whatever whatever we heard coming off the stereos off of our neighbors like through the teenagers windows or what was on their t-shirts you know what for whatever reason we were drawn to it and that was absolutely the kickstart into the direction. There wasn't any specific genre, you know, at that time when you're kind of like feeling it out. Like I had bad taste in music and I had good taste in music and I still have bad taste in music and I still have good taste in music. (laughs) But you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, sure. I bought Kiss Alive too when I was in the third grade, but I also bought the Bay City Rollers Greatest Hits, you know, and Sean Cassidy. So, um, but that's definitely, it was, it was all what, what we were, what we were sort of drawn into being fascinated by the older kids. When you're younger, you don't really know what genres are yet, so you're just figuring it out. Genres always come later. Musical inspiration is before any labels happen. Oh, big time. I agree. I totally agree. Which is, which is probably, again, it's kind of like, you know, it's, it's you know, metaphorically also life. You know what I mean? You just kind of get thrown into the world and you just sort of start grabbing at everything. And then little by little, as you get older, the boxes get a little bit smaller. And sometimes that can be you know, getting your taste a little bit more refined. And, you know, sometimes though, sometimes we, you know, we box ourselves in and that's, that's, you know, it gets a little bit, I think a lot of people, when you become like a later teenager and then you start sort of defining yourself by your genres, that's when you really start to kind of box yourself in a little bit, but there's really nothing wrong with that. You know, you sort of get a crew and you get a scene and you got to, you know, everything. You know, but it's nice whenever you sort of then then also get through that phase and kind of break back out to the point where you're like, well, I love music. You know, it doesn't have to be just like death metal till I die. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, you're like, hey, I like soul, too. But, you know, but again, yeah. you're, you're looking for the genre. You're looking for that definition and, and who you are and what you are and what you're about. Gravitate towards something and you hold on to it so tightly that you box yourself in. But then again, you get a little bit older and I think you open yourself up a little bit more musically, too. Absolutely, absolutely, and um, it's it's to hear you say that it's interesting because uh, obviously we always do research on all of your different bands, and the one question I want to ask you is your first band Mythic, and um, you know you t- you talk about uh, you know going through different phases and branching out musically, and that was obviously a very like true death metal band at the time when death metal was very new. Was that your first step into being in a band? Well, the first step was probably high school. There were a couple of bands that we we don't we don't need to talk about names right now. <laughs> typical <laughs> typical typical high school band names. And trust me, I have no shame 
So, you know, but like, you know, the typical, like, we're going to get together and we're going to try to play this Glee song. All right, we're going to play this Glee song. Hey, here's a Dickie song. Hey, here's a, you know, let's, let's, let's play this Jet X song or whatever. So there are always little formulations of little basement bands that never really amounted to, of course, anything. You're just learning your instruments and feeling it out. And then when I moved to Pittsburgh, then I hooked up with a couple of guys. That's when I was sort of actually getting to, you know, it was clicking. I played I played drums from, I think, when I was about eight till I was about 14. And then I decided, I somehow I got fascinated with the bass. And I can pretty much name players that would have, like, caused that flipping, you know, from one to the other. But I was drawn to that. And then when I got to be about 18, I was finally sort of getting a handle on the instrument. So when I moved to Pittsburgh, I was in a thrash band. Um, and, uh, and it was great because they were so far above my skill level that I learned a lot. You know, in the nine, at that time, nine months is like 10 years. So I learned a lot as a player, you know, even about the genre and going deeper and deeper. And then I hooked up with Sharon and Terry, who were in Derkada, so, and was playing with them. And then Mythic was after that. So, you know, Terry was okay. also, Terry was in Derkada, but she was also in Mythic. So Mythic wasn't the first band, but it was the first band that played out of, the, you know, that played out of state for me. You know, that played in different city, that played like metal fast. So it was probably the first really active band beyond the basement or just beyond recording. I'm sorry, is it Terry Hagen? Yes. Her last name? Okay. Um, okay, I'm batting 100 with the last names tonight. Terry Hagen. I know, you're uh, great. <laughs> I try. I try to do the research. And um, you're, you're such an encouraging guest, Mary. This is great. Um, and Sharon Beskovsky. Uh, from Derkada. Now, one question I wanted to ask you, because you were right there, uh, would you say that Sharon Boskovsky is probably the, like, the, the or Derkada, at least as a band, is the first uh, all-female death metal band from the U.S., and possibly the first death metal musician, female death metal musicians um, that are recording and remembered that far back? I would think, to my knowledge, you know, and at the time, and I'm again, everybody over... A certain age, I'm sure, says this because there was no internet. You know, you only know what you know. But again, it was such a, um, it was such a, a yeah, it was such a tight scene that you know you did have pen pals all over the world. You know, and tape yeah. trading all over the world. It was amazing how well people corresponded. You know, and that's part of wanting it and being young and hungry and being so like rabid for like, oh my gosh, like check this out. You know. So, at least in my in my scope, it was. I know there was um, witches from Sweden. I think that was Chelsea's band. They were going on simultaneously, but I'm not sure to what degree. And um, then when I, when you know Terry and I had uh, t- t- Sharon obviously has never Sharon has always been doing Derkada. and then Terry yes. and I branched off, and then we you know we we did the mythic thing. And um, so at that point, then there were a couple of other, you know, a couple other bands that we knew of. So it's, it's possible somebody had done it first, but again, that there wasn't any um, recording that we had uh, received of it or had knowledge of. So to my knowledge, yes, it was. And I give full credit to um, Terry and Sharon for that because they were sort of like, when I met them, you know, they're like, you like this check this out and I'm like whoa you know what I mean so it was like they they definitely opened my eyes like they what those two knew for their age was pretty mind-blowing 
you know, um, I mean, we're all around the same age. I'm just a year or two older than those guys. So, you know, but definitely, like, I give all credit to them. Like, I came along at a time when they needed a bass player. But they were already on this. They were on that train, you know, and such fans. You know what I mean? They were just such fans, just true blue, you know, and just, you know, I keep saying rabid fans, but I don't know how to describe it. So, yeah, if, if definitely I can take no credit for that, I would absolutely give that, I would give that credit to um, Sharon and Terry, for sure. Okay, and we're not, obviously we're not asking you to go on the record for, like, Guinness Book of World Records or something. There's always going to be people on the internet that, you know, there was this, this band from Sweden, this band from Brazil, whatever. Of course there's, uh, there's different bands if we go back and do the research. But I think the reason why Mythic in particular stands out is you had the EP... Uh, on on relapse records so you obviously had that push which meant a lot in those pre-internet days and maybe why um the 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 releases and the music stands up a little bit more um in history but yeah all due respect to Derkada, obviously uh chronologically very very quick on the ball and death metal um you know we, we and we, we get into the conversation too about possessed death necrophagia you know which who came first it doesn't matter you know we're just really we're just trying to get into the history of all this and th- this stuff and that's um i have more questions about your particular releases and things but on that note it seems like between mythic and Derkada and the different musicians that have come and gone through the years especially in Derkada, it seems like there's um there early on in pittsburgh in the death metal scene there was a lot of female musicians maybe compared to other uh, like local scenes like in New York and Florida and so on. Is that fair to say? I, I think so as well. And again, it wasn't until probably we, we were, um, well, we were all pretty pretty young. You know, we were still teenagers when we were like hitting the road and at least going and seeing other shows if we weren't playing those shows, you know, um, which I'm so glad that we did because now I can look back and say, wow, I got to see that at that time. That was, that was really cool. So, you know, we would always meet other females and, you know, people would go, hey, I play, I play, I play. But again, it wasn't necessarily, I don't recall that many people. Always remember Mary from Primeval. You know what I mean? She was awesome. And Mary, I don't know if she still is. I haven't talked to her in years, but she was a mechanic back in the day, too. Huh. Um, long before I was, that's for sure. You know, she and a bass player, so she's the cool Mary. I'm like the, I'm like the lame. I'm sort of like the, I'm like Mary Light. You know what I mean? She was like the, again the real deal. She was super cool. But um, but we always talk about how the scene in Pittsburgh was really, you know, the you know when thrash in hardcore and metal in the 80s and they would there were always thrash thrash going on around town and tons of shows and it was such a mixture of all those genres so regardless of if it was that or whatever it was there were always tons of women around you know some were playing in bands again there were always more dudes than there were women but there were always you know girls in punk bands you know there were some girls in metal bands but we always you know when Sharon and I always laugh because people were like you talk about Pittsburgh like it was this utopian society of genre, you know. And we were like, but it kind of was, you know. Huh. Like, like everybody, everybody was really like the, the the girls and the guys. Everybody was like, everybody was was a crew, you know. It wasn't like the girls are over here and the boys are over there. There were less of them playing music, but that could have been maybe why it was just it was just second nature. We I, I felt like we we were lucky to have escaped. Some of the the crap that other people in other cities did, but um, but yeah, there always seems to be women involved. You know, zines, bands, 
uh, booking shows, working at the record store, working at the music shop. You know, it was just definitely, definitely more. I mean, still, still, again, in comparison to the number of dudes, it was far less. But I think you're right um, than in other cities. So, um, sorry if I'm being so long-winded about it. But we talk about it to this day, which is, like, really strange to us how it was just, like... Yeah, man, the punk rockers and the hardcore guys and hardcore gals and the metalheads all kind of, at one point, were kind of one big crew. So, you know, having such a, having a family, you know, and if somebody was shady, they sort of naturally just got pushed out, you know? So it, it, there was, you know, there was, I, I don't know, I think Pittsburgh was pretty big about, look, you know, looking out for one another, and I think that might have been part of the reason why nobody questioned our gender. You know, when it was time to step up to the plate, so. But, um, yeah, it was a nice, I mean, it was a really, it was a really welcoming, it was a great experience, that's for sure. That's uh, awesome to hear. Maybe um, a few years ahead of other scenes in terms of that, because nowadays it's obviously a lot more common, um, and I, I think women are a lot more accepted in the scene. Did you ever feel any kind of animosity when you would go touring, like other areas were not ready for that yet, or something of that nature? You know, there, I think behind... Behind the, behind our backs, I think there was, you know, and it was more like like I, there wasn't a whole lot that was overt, you know. It was definitely way more welcoming that it, it didn't seem to be problematic, but I think people weren't having those conversations with us, you know. Like, interestingly enough, whenever like Terry and Sharon and and Robin and I are like, oh, let's do this Dirkada record, you know, how many years after the fact? Because we're all friends, you know, we want to have fun, and it's you know, why not? And, uh, you know, when we played shows, again, this was over the last 10 years, then, you know, somebody that I knew, you know, t- you know, 25 years ago would be like, yeah, I'm really sorry. I'm really ashamed of the way. I'm like, what do you mean? You're always cool to me. Yeah, well, you know, it's kind of, you know, blah, 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 you know, mealy mouthed about it. So, um, <laughs> so I think there was more going. Yeah, there, there definitely was. There definitely was, but I think more people were afraid to say something, but I definitely think it was being said, you know. Um, okay. But, yeah, for the most part, we we would go places and make great friends. You know, you would get those comments. Occasionally, someone would come up and be like, hey, you're, you know, you're, you're pretty good for a bunch of girls. You know, that, that would always come in. But then again, you knew when somebody was sort of like, when it was coming from from a sort of a um, a gentle ignorance, as like they're really trying yeah. to pay you a compliment, versus somebody saying something that was trying to be condescending and they were talking down to you. But um, yeah, I think definitely you know if, if somebody said that women have to deal with more, yeah, absolutely, you know. But I think in some degrees there was there was there was uh, if you weren't looking for it, sometimes you wouldn't see it. So I, I, it's. Some, you know, on some days I'm like, boy, it was great. And some days I'm like, I remember that one time, you know. So it's, uh, mm-hmm. it's. I know, I, I feel like I feel like I'm going back and forth. But yeah, but for the most part, I mean, because <laughs> once again, I think it, it was such a, it was, it was not a small scene, but so much smaller than it is now. So again, you were there for a reason. If you knew of it back then, you were there for a reason. And so there was, there was like generally like a sort of amount of respect that everybody gave to one another. That's uh, well. That, that's good to hear, and it's um, you know, it just makes makes you a little proud of the death metal scene. Um, and you coming from Pittsburgh must be proud of Pittsburgh. It sounds, you know, again, it sounds like it was a, a little bit ahead of its time in that respect. And um, uh, you know, getting getting into that, uh, you know, you talked about um, Decada, and then you and Terry 
uh, go on to, I guess, meet up a, uh, at some point with Dana Duffy and form Mythic. Could you tell us a little bit about the forming of Mythic um, and, and get into that process a little bit? Yeah, it was, you know, it was really, it was basically, you know, it was just simple. You know, we were, we were, it's funny because we always laugh, share, and we all laugh about it. And it's like, no, no, it was this way. And it's like, no, 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 you said this and then this and that. But basically, you know, what it was is we, I think um, we were sort of looking at, Terry and I were really interested in hitting the road and playing shows. Sharon was really interested into writing, like, really, like, you know, like really digging deep into the writing. So I think that it was that simple. I think it was sort of like, you know, I think Sharon Sharon wanted to spend more time, you know, creating and writing and was so, so, um, so specific, not snobbish, but real specific about like sort of like, this is, this is, hey, this is, this is us. This is what it is. This is what we want to do. And I think Terry and I were a little more anxious, jump of the gun, like, let's play some shows, you know? So it's like we talked and we just weren't sure if we were all kind of on the same page. So that was just, it was just sort of something like, you know, it was sort of an organic transition, you know, and people go through a lot of changes as it is from being like 17, 18 years old to like 21, you know, so that's pretty much what it was, uh, at least how I can remember it. And Dana had written, I believe to Terry, and she was coming to Pittsburgh to attend the Art Institute of Pittsburgh and just it was just literally like hey I'm moving to Pittsburgh I play guitar let me know if you want to jam it's like kind of you know paraphrasing a bit but it was that simple you know it was that simple and since we were kind of like hey let's go try something new you know and then Terry and I at one up did that and Sharon continued as you know she always has so um so yeah that's just kind of how that happened and, and it was bang and there it was awesome and um that you know that brings us right up to uh, just to catch the listeners up to speed, obviously, you had your 91 rehearsal demo and then your 91 um, Immortal Realm demo and then, of course, the 93 uh, Morning and Winter Solstice, Solstice EP on Relapse Records, which have all been collected uh, as an anthology and released in different formats over the years and have gained kind of a cult following as being one of those early uh, Relapse bands. Highly recommended and just... Uh, for, for again, for listeners of the show who may not be familiar with Mythic, it's something to go back and listen to in these this day and age where we talk about caveman death metal. Um, this was cavewoman death death metal in a way because we talk about death metal going back to this old school, uh, primitive, um, doomy atmosphere type of thing. And Mythic strikes me as the prototype for for that uh, that form. Were you just trying to? Uh, make like the most brutal thing possible. What what sort of bands were influencing you? Was it from the local scene or more from the tape trading? It was a little bit. It was, it was both. Definitely both. Like I would say, probably you know, like the bands that were were on the death. You know, I'll say the steps beyond thrash. You know, like like one of my favorites who will always be one of my favorites, um, who are actually from like the Bel Vernon area, which is just you know, it's Pittsburgh, Greater Pittsburgh area, but it's you know, not City of Pittsburgh, hideous Manglius. Like when I love Hideous Manglius, I still love Hideous because they're just like, it was like, it was like punk and hardcore and grindcore and horrorcore, like the first, the beginning. And there were all the young teenagers doing this, you know, and it was just like, cause it would be like, it would blast and the vocals were so ridiculously like, like at the time were just like it, you know, unfathomably low. 
you know. But then they would bust out with this tractor bass, like like punk rock, almost like a borderline. I would say Misfits, but but it wasn't like a major key. You know, Misfits had you know obviously like a, a sing songy quality about them, more but it crusty, still was I like. Guess. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But like, but there was like, like you could, you know, again, if if it was if it was just those rips through it, it would be like, oh, this is a punk band. Then all of a sudden, it would break down and they blast, and it would then it's grindcore. So there's those guys, and then there's Rotterdam, you know, who were great and wow. really yes. amazing, really amazing song t- titles too, because you know, and we don't have to get into this, but especially in this day and age, you know, people are like, keep your politics out of metal or keep your social opinions. And I'm like, man, if you think that there weren't social, like there wasn't like discussions about this and in the origins of metal, you're crazy, you know, like really, really lyrics to go back. Yeah. Rotravor did have some uh, political commentary in their lyrics, as I remember. Right. I'd have to go back. Yeah. 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 I mean, it definitely was. It was sort of like they were actually like, if you think about it, they were sort of doing again what a lot of the thrash fans and the punk fans, they were kind of looking, they were looking at the world through the eyes of who they were, where they lived, demographics, you know, what life was like for them, what they saw in the outside world, you know, which was, was, was pretty deep, you know. So you had yeah. those guys, and then there was Safanos. Um, probably all of those bands were an influence, but I think um, Dream Death was a huge influence. So I think that's also, you know, and we always loved what is, you know, known now as Doom, you know, Candlemass, and, you know, bands like that. It was, I mean, even bands like St. Vitus, you know, Black Sabbath. So it's kind of like there was that, but it's like, okay, then there's this, and then there's this, and then... It comes out how it comes out in your band, you know, with the three people trying to, like, write this kind of stuff. It kind of comes out how it comes out. But we also always were, like, like bands like Grave, like, when we, you know, you, you have that discussion, what's death metal? And we're like, I don't know, man. You know, it's like, if it blasts, is it death metal? And it's like, well, sure, it became that, you know. But we always thought Grave, you know, bands like Grave, like, where you have that mid-tempo you know, you know, you got, like, the double bass kicking and, you know, obituary and things like that so um so i do think that that's probably i think the really heavier side and the slower stuff was probably you know i was always a big melvin's fan so you know and it was it was weird though because again when you're when you're when you're talking death metal and you you talk there were all those it was such an interesting time for music alone you know so if you're looking at bands like laughing hyenas and you're looking at bands like melvin's and you're looking at bands that were heavy but not necessarily metal you know, but super heavy. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it just all kind of mish, mishmash because the three of us had very, uh, obviously we loved a lot of the same bands, but each one of us, which is, you know, why the band lasted a year and a half, you know, each one of us <laughs> liked different things, you know, it's like this person likes this groove more, this person likes black metal more, and this person likes, like, doom more, and bam, and there it went, you know. Yeah, it's kind of hard yeah. to keep a bunch of people together with that mindset, um, which is uh, obviously it's no one's fault. It, it's just unfortunate that it works out like that. It definitely, yeah, it, it is, and it's. But it, again, looking at the age, you know, if you think about how much you you change from when you're 18 to like 25, you know, as an adult, you change so much. So I think that that's got to have something to do with it as well. You know what I mean? Like everyone's just kind of like jumping out of their skin and flying off in different directions. Um, I guess the the next thing that you would really be known for would, would have been working with November's Doom after Mythic, right? Uh, yeah, there was now there was a band from Pittsburgh that I wouldn't really expect 
you know, people to know, but there was a band called Wormhole from Pittsburgh that I was in for a good, um, I guess that was right after Mythic. That might have been part of right after, as as Mythic was disbanding, like officially, like, okay, everyone's going their separate ways. Everyone wants to do other things. Like the next day, uh, my, my roommate at the time, uh, Richie, who was in this old hardcore band called um, Necrocedia, who were from Altoona and then Pittsburgh, you know, he had started this new band with some people from town, and then I ended up just jumping in and playing with them. Again, friends, you know, it was just kind of like, hey, we need a bass player for the 7-inch. Okay, no problem. You have a good time. You continue. So we recorded, I think, like three 7-inches, some comps, and then a full length, and then we did, that's, that's where I really did the, the long tours you know i'm sure that was age related as well you know when you can work for three months straight so you can get a month and a half off to jump in a van and go you know be a moron um (laughs) so uh so yeah wormhole was but it was a really big part of my life you know and it was great and it was fun and it was more like it was like noisy alternative punk you know and then i moved to chicago and that's where i hooked up with the november's doom guys which was um which was great dudes man really good guys yeah, and I, I want to talk about November's Doom a little bit because that's kind of where I initially, I was familiar with them in the 90s when you were with them, so that's kind of like my frame of reference a little bit. But let's let's talk about Wormhole because Wormhole, there was a few songs on YouTube, um, but not there wasn't there wasn't a lot to go on for that. Uh, but, you, you know, it seems like it was a pretty big deal to you. Um, can you talk a little bit about some of those initial touring experiences? I, I assume that was probably the mid-90s, um, so touring was a lot different back then, right? Yeah. It was all book your own fucking life. You know that book that Maximum Rock and Roll used to put out? So every year they would put out this, and that's what it was called, book your own fucking life. And every year it would come out, and it was just, you know, you could book your own tour organically off of, you know, again, no internet. So it's like you're making phone calls, and you're sending letters and postcards. So it's kind of, it amazes me how these tours worked. You know, they worked. Somehow they worked because you know you're not you're stopping at <laughs> you're you're stopping at a payphone and plugging like every bit that you saved up of change to like call and be like hey we're gonna be an hour late you know that kind of stuff so um so yeah so every year Maximum Rock and Roll would put this out and it would be like every city and you would just submit like hey if, if bands can stay at your house or you book shows in town you send your information and people are gonna write you and then you know you're gonna be setting up shows you know over the telephone and through you know again through regular you know snail mail um so that that was a really it was a big learning like it was a lot of work you know what i mean to do that it was like you really had to want to do it but it was uh it was worth it now there was roadrunner had signed a band called wormhole from ireland so there's another wormhole out there so if you see anything that's uh, wormhole roadrunner it's not us uh, <laughs> so okay we actually we to- um we just interviewed a, a relatively new band that came out uh i, I think 2017 also called wormhole yeah there you Wal- go. baltimore yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's a yeah. great name <laughs> check out every wormhole album. oh i will i will there's only, there's only two there's only two to check out they go they go pretty good <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, they asked to screenshot some stuff and be like, check it out, you know. Um, and ours was our name came from the um, Debbie, who was in a band called the Pleasureheads in Pittsburgh before that, and they had done a, you know, now again that doing a national tour back then was something you just did on your own. You know, you you know maybe you would get some college airplay, you'd be sending out, you know, seven inches and things to uh, to to college radio stations. That's kind of how you did it. You know, there was no quote alternative radio, and certainly no ch- clear channel to sort of screw all that up. Um, 
as far as like being able just that being able to have the um I'm waiting for one of you guys to be like, wait, I work for Queer Channel. But uh, you know, oh. so like to like <laughs> so like, you know, that no. you could just you could yeah, you could get like you know, you could get hand to hand, here you go. I mailed it to the person here, send this to the punk director of this college radio station you know well, that's kind of how it that's kind of how it went down um but ours was debbie who did vocals and played guitar she her family owned a produce distribution company and we used to practice in the produce warehouse and she just picked up an apple and it had a worm a wormhole in it and she's like oh there's a wormhole and we were like okay because we weren't really like you know we we didn't we didn't have a b- big attention span at the time, so we're like, sounds good, that's perfect. <laughs> so yeah, so it was great, but that is really yeah, definitely where it's sort of like that's where I kind of learned how to, you know, be patient, be in the van for long. You know, I've always I was always the night driver because I never drank when we were you know touring or anything like that because I was the night driver. So it was just like driving through the desert at like three in the morning and playing whatever the hell you were listening to and everybody's sleeping, you know. Which I I always there. preferred. I just, yeah. yeah, yeah. But everyone's like, you got to stay up. You got to stay up and keep me awake. And I'm like, go to bed, go to bed. I want to listen to my music. And you know, at the time, smoke cigarettes and drink copious amounts of diet coke. You oh, know, yeah. it was like my time. <laughs> you know, I want to see. I, it's like I want to see the sunrise without you bastards bothering me. You know, so yeah. a little a little peace and quiet. So yeah, so that that's kind of where that was really formula. You know, that was that really. Has 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 a bit a lot of uh, a lot to do with really cutting your teeth on it, as you know, as you know, you've been there. So it's you know definitely drive, definitely drive was with a the van. good experience. Everybody's everybody's asleep in the back. Uh, some of the best experiences of my life. Um, and you know, like you said, you eventually do move to Chicago um, and uh, you join November's Doom, a long running kind of doom death metal band. Um, that was around um, prior to your joining, and they even they put out an album last year. They're like they're still doing it. Um, uh, highly recommended for the listeners, by the way. And I understand you were on three albums starting in '97 with them, right? Yes. Yeah. One was actually one was an EP, and then there were two full lengths after that. So it was like we did a for every leaf that falls EP, and then we did an an Aussie tribute comp. And then we did, which I almost forgot about, actually. Um, and then we did, um, let's see, Forever Lisa Falls and that. And then we did um, Of Sculptured Ivy and Stone Flowers and then The Knowing. Yeah, um, and the, you, you got me there because I usually try to do a lot of research, but I'd missed that Ozzy comp. What song did you cover? Uh, we covered, um, oh my gosh, what did we cover? You, you might have to edit this out, too. Just because of the, hey, I don't mind looking like a complete moron because, you know, it is what it is. It was, um, it was, yeah, it was on Olympia Records and it was like, it was, it was, I just, it was funny. I remember that um, Broken Hope, no, no, who did Over the Mountain? It was uh, Death Metal Bandit, Chicago Bandit, Over the Mountain. Um, I got it. Uh, it's Revelation, Mother Earth. Uh, yes, 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 yes. Yeah, because it was real fast. It was like, it, we got, I think that happened. And again, I'm not, I can't remember, but I think we got just called up to do it at the very last minute. So it was like, learn it the night before, whatever. And I remember, I was just really mad because they kept telling me, simplify that baseline, simplify that. And I was like, God damn it, I don't want to simplify that baseline. 
you know. But it, but it was what it was, and that's when CJ was doing. She was doing backing vocals. So um, so yeah, and then Solitude Eternus. I just remember uh, did No More Tears, which was actually, believe it or not, my favorite track on that whole thing. So, but I like Solitude Eternus. So. Okay. All right. Well, we can. It, it, it's up to you. We can edit that to your liking. <laughs> but I thought that was funny. I thought that was interesting. Went down the Aussie uh, wormhole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but I, I couldn't remember Revelation. How could I forget that? I remember we played a radio show and we did She by Kiss, which I can remember that. But that was the only time we ever played that, which was interesting. It was like, hey, let's do this. Because everybody was a Kiss fan from Kiss. You know, most people my age were. So, um, so there was that. But, uh, but I didn't remember uh, Revelation Mars. So, you know. Sorry, Ozzy. <laughs> so we're still waiting for Ozzy to call back for for interview. We'll see what happens. Um, but November's Doom, uh, kind of a classic Doom death band uh, from the United States, especially in, in an era in the late '90s where it wasn't as common. That kind of like, um, I, I guess, more European influenced Doom style uh, that that we talk about from time to time. Did you happen to do a lot of touring with them? We did some, we didn't do a touring, we did uh, more, we did some traveling, but not any full-blown tours. So, you know, we had some, I remember going to play in Atlanta, and we, <laughs> and we, we, we piled in the van, you know, Paul set up the show, we piled in the van, and we, we, we were like, <laughs> We were we hit the road, man. We had everything. Do the dummy check. What do we have? We got the cables. We got the stuff. Everyone's got your contact lens solution. Whatever, whatever you needed for the weekend, you know. And then all of a sudden, we hit the road and realized again, no, no smartphones. Nobody had a map. And they're uh. like, how do we get? How do we get to Atlanta? And I said, just go south. <laughs> just go south. And we did, and we found it. We nailed it. We laughed. Eventually, we wow. found okay. you know, a map like. You're like 10 hours away, but I was like, just remember, I'm like, just at the state roads, you know, the, the, the odd numbers go north and south, and the even numbers go east and west, so take an even number, and then after you go for about five hours, hit an odd number, and, let's, and we'll find it, and somehow we found we found it, that was just, I oh always thought that God. was kind of funny, the look on Paul's face, does anyone have a map? No, just go south. That's cool. a lost art. But, um, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm getting anxiety it, just thinking about that. Well, sometimes I wonder too. It's I, this is what I, I I spent a little bit of time as an autonomous vehicle operator two years ago. I did it for a year, and so you know, so you're taking all these like high intensity driving classes, even though it's not directly applicable to the job because there's some tech work and and what it is. And I was just laughing, and we used to argue, and I just just everybody was so young. I was like, yeah, I think if you can't read a map, you, you shouldn't have a license. And I, oh man, everybody would get mad and screaming and I was like nah I was like, there's, I was like seriously like you need to have the natural ability to be able to find north south east, east and west before you think you can properly navigate these vehicles you know but um so like I said a lost art but um I've been saved yeah. many times by you know Google Maps so I'm not gonna I should keep my mouth shut yeah of course I'm I'm just old enough to remember the Rand McNally the big uh, like one foot tall books <laughs> all the, the state maps and everything like that um, yep those were I mean they were as a kid they were fun to look at you know and they did get us out of a few jams my one like my first tour I ever went on we were still using those um, and like the first GPS's were just coming out too in the 2000s but enough about enough, enough about that um, with November's Doom something I wanted to ask you um, is playing that style of doom metal 
which maybe is a little bit more um, like of the European influence, Paradise Lost, Catatonia, those type of bands. Uh, was it hard to play that type of metal in the United States in the late 90s when death metal was taking a turn for the more brutal? Yeah, I think it was. I do think that it was because it was definitely also, you know, we talked about like, you know, whenever bills used to be really diverse all the way even up to the early 90s, you know, when you would have like Sacred Rite, Sepultura, Napalm Death and Sick of It All on a show, like, and then it worked and it worked really, really, really great. And then the later, it seemed like the later of the decade in the 90s, you know, started to draw towards 98, 99. It was, again, it was really genre specific. Like, again, it wasn't just thrash, death, grindcore, whatever. It was like a death metal show or a grindcore show. So there weren't a whole lot of you know, there was no, there was, it was really uncommon to have one show like that of bands. Like, there were always other bands, but there were so few and far between. So, um, so yeah, it was always interesting to see what kind of a reception you were going to get. Some people, you know, you don't even know if they're in the mood for it or if they like it. But I think also one of the things that um, was interesting about November's Doom was I joined, I think I joined in 97. Um I was there from like 97 to 2000 and then there were a couple of shows that they didn't have a bass player so I would go back and play the shows you know and so they had like a, a solid solid person to, to take over those duties but um, it was always like you were saying European they were always there were always a comparison you know it was always like a, oh you you know you are in that genre with My Dying Bride or you sound like My Dying Bride or you must love My Dying Bride which was the case but at the same time, November's Doom actually predated My Dying Bride. So that was okay. the interesting part. So I think that might even say a little bit as well that it, the European influence of that type of music actually um, kind of lifted the American bands. But I think people kind of forgot or didn't realize that the, some of those bands had kind of been there from the start as well. Just lesser known. Again, probably because you, had your, you sort of had your core subgenres. And that wasn't a big subgenre in the States. So, yeah, and a lot of the people that liked the band were overseas, you know. So, thanks, yeah. you know, thanks to tape trading. And, and then eventually when people started getting on message boards and you had Doom message boards, that's where things, I think, really took off. So, it was, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely different. It was definitely different. But, uh, but you know, there was enough of, you know, the, and, and they were so passionate about what they played. So that was just, you know, the band was never going to go anywhere. It just was, again, it was, um, there was never one one big solid bill of that type of music. Yeah, and I think it's a little bit more accepted um, today in the States, um, and people are kind of looking back at stuff like that. Uh, and um, it's I, I got to mention, too, uh, we did a, we, early on in our podcast uh, career, we did an episode with uh, Rick Habib, um, one of the founding members of Gray Skies. Oh. Island, Staten Island, New York. Uh, a good, good friend of mine Rick. and a friend of the show. Uh, yeah, I he, yeah, he, he's, 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 he said to say hi when I mentioned it because he's a good friend of mine and I'm in several projects with him. Um, and they're still around. They just put out a new album this year, uh, Cold Dead Lands. That's a plug. But yeah, he said to say hi to you and and he mentioned that Gray Skies Fallen played a few shows uh, with November's Doom while you were with the band. Absolutely, and they were one of the bands I was thinking of whenever you, you know I said that there were you know fewer of those bands, but they were one of them, and they're great. And I'm glad, you know, like, tell Rick I said hi, awesome dude. Oh, they're all awesome dudes. You know, they're all awesome dudes. So it would be like, I should probably, the next time I'm blowing through town, I should probably, like, like send him a message and, you know, see what's going on. Obviously, with what's going on right now, none of us are going to be blowing through town anytime 
super soon. Yeah, no and we won't get to see each other play, but... Yeah, we'll wait. we have to wait until that gets normal again. Yeah, I, I don't know if you guys have any. I don't know again what you guys what you guys hear. With my friends up from like your area, it's definitely like down here. People are like, yeah, well, probably by the end of summer, and you know, and then all of my friends again who are from you know New York are like nothing in 2020, nothing in 2020. So I think you guys might be, you know what I mean. You guys might know a little bit more about really what the future holds for the rest of the year. So yeah, we're all you know, looking just, for deals on virtual headsets so we can go to digital concerts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, isn't it amazing? Isn't that amazing? I know, I know. It's it's, it's definitely. It's not my first choice, but I'm glad it's available. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it kind of like I think it was like the Dropkick Murphys played on St. Patrick's Day, as they always do. You know, in Boston, I think everybody in the world knows that, whether they're a fan or not. But they did a. They were the first ones that I saw that actually did like a live, like a live broadcast show, and. Like people that aren't even fans of that kind of music were like stoked just because somebody was playing yeah. on the television. You know what I mean? Like somebody was broadcasting. Yeah. So the fact that like everybody else is able to hopefully have the technology to jump on board. I mean, and it's been fun to watch people get creative. You know, think the people that are in like metal bands that are like, okay, I'm gonna pick up the acoustic guitar and go live on Instagram. You know, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely brought out some interesting sides of people, but. Absolutely. I'm with you. I'm waiting for. Yeah, I still have my tickets to the shows that got canceled, and I'm I'm waiting for them to get rescheduled. I got like so, ten uh, at yeah. St. Vitus right now that I just I'm good faith in it. Oh, nice. When is that supposed to be? I, I believe you're talking about St. Vitus the band, and they're talking about St. Vitus the venue here in New York. Oh, oh yeah, my bad. Yes, yeah, 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 right on. No, 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 no. That's okay. Well, speaking of, though, I didn't know if maybe, like, again, some of the bigger bands on the bigger tours, like the people that make a living on tour, you know, there's actually some shows that were bumped from May to August, which is really hopeful, you know, in Pittsburgh. That's why I thought maybe there, that was like St. Vitus. Okay, that's interesting. When is that? What fest is that? Right. Oh, yeah. St. Vitus Bar. Yeah, I've spent many, uh, collect- probably collectively, a couple months of my life in St. Vitus watching bands, and uh, oh, it's amazing! I miss that place. Yeah, so. Dirkada was the last time I was there. There were a few shows I wanted to come up to see that were at St. Vitus, but I didn't make it up. But that was the last time I was there. Was the last Dirkada show, which I can't even remember. I think it was five years ago, four years ago, five years ago, something like that. No better place. Yeah, yeah. We're yeah, we're yeah, we're, that's like our local uh, watering hole for underground metal. You know, like like everyone else, we're we're just taking it day by day and uh, wait, you know, waiting to see what happens with everything. It's it's crazy right now. We'll be waiting. Um, you know, we talked about doom metal. We talked about uh, your your stint in November's doom um, on the three different on the the EP and the two full length albums um, through ninety seven, ninety nine, and two thousand, and also in Chicago. Um, I know Brian Griffin of Broken Hope fame um, produced that uh, for every Leaf That Falls EP, if I'm not mistaken, by November's Doom. And um, you, you actually participated in the first EP of his side project, uh, M. Symphonia. It's called uh, In Mourning, I believe. Could you want to talk about um, uh, your, the, the, the relationship you had with Broken Hope and working with Brian Griffin a little bit? Yeah, Brian's amazing. Um, I'm not sure where you know. I haven't I haven't talked to Brian in so long, in so long. Um, so he was great. Um, so awesome to work with. 
Um, and he was just kind of like, again, he was sort of like, hey, I want to dabble in some other things, and there's other things that I want to write that isn't, you know, that isn't straight, you know, straight this, or that is a little bit different from Broken Hope, and I want to kind of experiment. I mean, the guy had, you know, his studio at his disposal. So, you know, he definitely was, um, you know, a real gearhead, which was cool. He really was, really liked what he did. At least that was always the impression that I got, you know. So, uh, so he was getting deeper into that, and he was experimenting with some other things. And so that was really, really fun. I just, I, I remember um, punishing and torturing. There was one run that I did on that, like a bass run. And it was, I was getting so much fret buzz that he's like, we got to raise your strings. I was like, oh, uh, that's going to change things a little bit here for me, you know. So he did. And I just remember it, like, I just couldn't nail I don't know what was wrong with me, but I couldn't nail it. And I was just like, Brian is never going to talk to me again after this. But we got over it and we got through it eventually. I don't know. The guy's got the guy's got like the patience of a saint. Because usually I don't. I'd like to think in the studio I'm kind of like get in and get out kind of person, you know. But um, but he definitely, you know, definitely was cracking up because I was like, I just I couldn't. I don't. I was like, I don't know how many times I'm going to play this and either not nail it or whatever it was. But. Um, but uh, but yeah, but I, but I got to spend time with him doing that, and got to spend time with him obviously on the November's Doom stuff. And again, it was just it was a great experience, you know. He's he's such a he's such a such a you know, he's got a good he's got a good Zen vibe about him, you know. He's just real real calm, you know. I guess he's probably got to be patient for like especially putting up with me at that time. That was like you know do it again, do it again. I'm like I don't want to do it again. I love the f this. Do it again. Do it again. Do it again. You know, but um, but yeah, that was definitely a great time, and I was I'm really lucky that I had the chance to work with him. You know, just you know, as a person and as a musician, and Broken Hope and Jeremy and all those guys. Just you know, having you know having met him so long ago, and they were always so supportive of so many people, and you know, still to this day. So it's yeah, it was just you know, I can't say anything other than I'm really happy I got to have that experience with him. He's a he's a good dude. Uh, awesome, and you know that the idea of Brian Griffin as a producer, uh, especially during that period in the late '90s, um, those those Broken Hope albums, they kind of just got, uh, I guess, cleaner and tighter uh, with with each release, especially towards the late '90s. And he kind of developed his own. I think he was ahead of his time because nowadays you see these ultra clean, ultra produced tech death albums coming out. Um, even not not so much nowadays, even for the last decade or so. And I think Brian Griffin was way ahead of the curve on that style of um, of production in death metal. You know, so that, that's that's cool to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and and I think you you nailed it. That was a really that's a really good way to describe it. It was sort of hard for it was hard for me to to put it into words. But yeah, definitely. Like I said, he was sort of like you know definitely like you know you know he had an idea and he had the patience to work it until it got to a point where he thought it was good. And again, it, you know how that is. It always brings out the best in you as well because half of us are like, good enough, you know. Good enough, I'm going to the bar, you know. And he's like, well, you can, I think you can do better, you know. So, but, um, but yeah, and again, Gearhead gearhead through and through and really into what he was doing. It's like, it's like, he's, like a, he's like he's an old musical soul, you know what I mean? He's got the wisdom and experience and he had a foresight that I think, you know, how many years after the fact sort of, we started hearing another recording so you know i'm sure i don't know if you talk to him regularly but i'm sure he'd be probably like yeah it's a nice thing to tell him you know 
Well, he's he's on our list. We got we, we tell people all the time we um we really only can produce one episode a week, and we got such a long list of people we want to reach out to, and he's definitely one of them. And um you know moving on talking about your projects um you know we we, we talked about November's Doom and that M Symphonia uh, project with Brian Griffin, and um you you end up just a few years after that uh, in the band Penance, which if if I'm not mistaken is that former members of Dream Death. Yes, yep, yep. And I think it was in 19... I don't know if it was 89 or 90, but I think the Penance demo, I think it came out in 90. Um, so, yeah, so so they, it was it was, it was was basically as, as Dream Death was kind of coming to an end, it was, it was the three founding, three of the founding members of Dream Death that moved on um, to Penance. I think it was only um, Ted who was in Dream Death that wasn't in Penance. And then they sort of had the same core lineup for a little while and then things started to change a little bit you know you know how it is sometimes sometimes if it if 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 bands not you know not every band's banging out a record or two per year so it's you know if it's like if it's a couple years in between you know sometimes there's there's a new bass player sometimes there's you know the vocalist um and then uh and uh the lee smith uh parallel corners you know, that was a whole unique situation as far as getting a vocalist from England. You know, that was all before my time. So, you know, so there were, there were some member changes before I had joined. But, um, but yeah, that was definitely another, another band that I felt like I got to as a, as, a, um, as a bass player. I feel like I got to learn a lot, you know. I learned how to sort of like get in the pocket and hold a groove, you know, versus again. It, it, up to that point, it was all punk and metal and death metal, even though I was the to you know school I was you know for not to I went to school for music you know like who cares you know what does that mean you know but but you know again I've always loved and strived to play with different types of music but Penance really got me in the pocket so that was really a fun uh, that was a really fun experience that was that's interesting to hear because I did take time to listen to um I guess it's 2001's Alpha and Omega you're on the first six tracks because that collects two different EPs and then in 2003, you're on the album Spiritual Natural, and it sounds like um, by the time Spiritual Natural comes out, that second album um, that, that you do with them, there's there's a big development, and it seems like it's very focused on the riff and letting the song um, develop in a much different way than the earlier material. Yeah, and that was the first record. Spiritual Natural was the first record without Terry Weston, you know, who had that signature dream death, who had that signature dream death sound. Okay. So, um, so yeah, so that is a big part. Now, some of the stuff were Terry's riffs and Terry's songs, you know, because, again, everybody's friends. It's just, you know, sometimes you walk away from things for a while and then you just have to contemplate, you know. Yeah. And so it, it was, you know, um, Dave uh, Roman came in and who was a real unique character, you know, just such a, such a quiet guy, such an absence of, like, not wanting to play music for others, anything else than wanting to play music. That was it. You know, it wasn't about, you know, scenes. It wasn't about people. It wasn't about, you know, he was just playing music. So that was a little bit of a difference of a penance experience, you know. Um, so, so yeah, if you're noticing, I mean, again, there was def- there was a time lapse between the two. But then without Terry and then with Dave coming in, I think it had a different, a, a different flow to it. But so much of it is Mike Smale, who plays drums, you know, who was in Dream Death and also played on um, the first Cathedral record. So he actually drummed on the first, uh, okay. he went over to England and they had him come over 
and um, he's got some really funny stories about that too you know which are which are great about playing on that record all good but funny um, huh. funny is good you know what I mean funny is funny yeah, good, funny is yeah. good um, but uh, but so yeah so having I think Mike being also a big you know Terry and Mike always being the driving forces but you know Mike used to actually write a lot of riffs himself so you know Mike's a really really great drummer and a really talented guy and a very deep thinker <laughs> so you know you kind of that's kind of where I think spiritual natural went Okay, and and I got him now. It's interesting too because you say you talk about Mike, the drummer of um, Dream Death and uh, Penance, playing on the first Cathedral album, and you reminded us before that November's Doom predates a lot of those European bands that they get compared to. So that's kind of another interesting thing to think about in the relationship between um, European and English and American doom metal and where they where the time um, the time is, and also if I'm not mistaken, these guys in Penance and Dream Death, this is all Pittsburgh, right? Yes, yes. I, I got to admit, I was unfamiliar with Dream Death um, and, and that legacy before I started doing my research for this interview. Maybe you could just talk a little bit. Is that, that's like a, a obviously dating back to 90, an old school Pittsburgh band. And you did bring them up when we asked you about influences for um, Mythic, I guess. Could you talk a little bit about what Dream Death might mean to old school Pittsburgh metal? Yeah, Dream Death is definitely like they would never, they would never admit this because there's such also the, the dream death guys and the penance guys were you know i mentioned dave roman coming in on spiritual natural in 2003 and you know replacing terry who was the you know the founding member and the founding member of dream death and he was at doom watch before that um so he they would never say this because they were such again they were such like chill Music. It was always about the music. It was not. It was almost like to them. It was almost like a like a like a, you know, like a like a scourge to want to be like a scenester. It's like you gotta love the music. They go all about the music, you know. So so they would never admit this or say this, but they were kind of like Pittsburgh royalty in a way. You know what I mean? Like you know, being so like creating something like that that people just couldn't really put their finger on, you know, because it's like, like, oh, we've heard a lot of Celtic Frost, like the slower to mid-tempo Frost type stuff, and, you know, in what they did, but again, they come from the, the school of like wino, you know, and, and, and from that kind of, you know, as far as their influences go back, you know, what was heavy, was, was more heavily based in like heavy music of the, of the 70s, you know, and their influences growing up. And again, somehow it morphed into Dream Death, which was nobody was doing that at the time i still don't think there's anything that quite sounds like dream death you know um so it is it can be lesser known to a lot of people but i think it you know i think it holds up after all these years yeah it's really interesting music to go back and revisit and to also kind of see the trajectory of the band over the years as as they change stylistically um, prior to you joining, and, and um, you know when they turn into uh, you know when they turn into pendants and, and so forth. I, I you know I just thought that would be cool to share, especially for the listeners. A lot of people like to go back, and it seems like there's a really rich history in Pittsburgh that maybe people don't know as well as some of the other uh, old school regions. You know, everybody knows Florida, everybody knows New York suffocation and the whole thing. You know, but um, it seems like maybe with Pittsburgh, there's a lot to go back and check out too. Yeah, for sure, and I think there were multi, the multi-influences, because a lot of people did play, and like, again, the Dream Death guys were like, as far as I know, other than Terry being in Dream Death, you know, it was kind of like, Dream Death was the band that, you know, they put together and did shows and, and recorded, you know, the, the, the record, and, you know, they were, they were laid down on, like, on, they were laid down on vinyl, like, as a full length. 
So, you know, that was kind of a big deal. But a lot of, again, being surrounded by, like, Dream Death would play with Half-Life, which is, like, one of the biggest bands that were around in Pittsburgh at the time. So, you know, and Dream Death would play with um, Necropolis and, and other bands. Like, they were always, again, there was nobody. It was kind of like November's Doom and, and Grey Skies Fallen and bands that were, like, there were not bands a lot of bands like that so I'm sure that you know I don't know about you know talking to Rick if other than when we all played together you found yourself on a mixed bill so Dream Death was always that one band that wasn't quite like they weren't thrash and they weren't hardcore and they weren't punk they were their own thing but they were there and they were everywhere so you know like the punk rockers loved them you know and the hardcore kids loved them you know and uh and you know some you know some people that were just into like classic rock loved them. So it was a, you know it was a really huh. un, it was a really they were a unique little stamp on on Pittsburgh music. So I guess around the same time that you were in Penance, you joined or you were you one of the founding members maybe of the band Behind Enemy Lines. Okay, I was in the they had had one record out. So when um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Us Rotten. Oh yeah, love that band. Were, yeah. 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 yeah, so they're Pittsburgh. You know, they're Pittsburgh. So, you know, they had, um, I think Us Rotten had put out, I think they had done a tour off of the third record that they put out. And then at that point, they were branching off again. You know, you, you know you're young and you've been playing, they've been playing with each other for, you know, a period of years at that point. So Eric and Corey went off to form Costa Christ um, with Bill, who was in um, The Pissed, and brutally familiar and a lot of the connecticut bands he had moved to pittsburgh so bill was in os rotten and then matt g they were all in os rotten and then os rotten branched off and dave and matt g and bill formed behind enemy lines and eric and Corey and bill formed costa christ so like they're two different underground but different different underground punk genres so they had put out one record and then um, behind enemy lines did and then um, I had moved, and obviously we've, we'd all been friends since 1990, 91, you know? They're a little bit younger, but everybody was, you know, kids are going to shows when they're 13 years old. So, um, so yeah, it was just one of those things that it was like Dave, Dave who was in, you know, the vocalist for Us Rotten and um, Human Investment was like, are, you're coming back to Pittsburgh. Yeah, oh, well, Matt Sachs has moved. Do you want to play bass? Yeah. And it's funny because, you know, my husband, Matt, is we're always in bands together now because it's always like one of us is in a band and somebody needs and oh i know a guitar player hey matt you know he'll be like i know a bass player hey mayor you know so um so yeah so matt and i were in penance together uh we're still in behind enemy lines uh less active but still still writing and still you know we go through our phases of doing stuff so, um, so yeah, that was that was like um, behind enemy lines was born of out of Os Rotten, and then on um, there were three records, and I was on the second two records. So that's that's you know, and we still like I said we still we still hit waves. You know, sometimes you but that's that's why I always like to think you know when you're in a band and people are like let's let's call it a day. It's like well just go dormant for a while. You know, you might want to do it in three years. You never know. So that's kind of where we are right now is just kind of getting back to doing some writing. We always, you know, we play shows. Um, we played in in London at a big um, punk festival. It was a benefit for the National Rape Crisis Hotline. So it was behind enemy lines and a lot of old anarcho bands and doom 
and it was great. It was really great. Um, but other than that, we've just played like one-off shows from that point. So, you know, eventually we have enough riffs for another record. So eventually we're all going to sit down and probably see how it sounds and see what we want to do. Okay. And, and it seems like um, you maybe are more active recently with the band, the Mud City Manglers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's, it's so much fun. I love, I love it. I love those guys. You know, it's not, it's, you know, whereas Behind Enemy Lines has that heavy, you know, has that heavy guitar and that heavy fist and it's got aggressive vocals and, you know, heavy themes. Uh, Mud City Manglers is more like when you're talking about bands like Flame and Groovies and you're talking about bands, um, oh gosh, like the Stooges kind of, but like a harder edge if you put a little motorhead in there. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's definitely punk rock, but you know, <clears throat> so yeah. Yeah, so we actually just, uh, we we recorded and our record is going to come out probably sometime in the next couple months. It's actually finally coming out, so I'm looking forward to that. Sweet. Okay, cool. And, um, you know, we follow, we follow you on Instagram. That's how we reached out to you. Um, I see, you, you know, you are fairly active playing shows, uh, you know, up, up until obviously, you know, people stopped playing shows like we talked about. And, um... Uh, not to gloss over though that you because well let me ask this what year did you join Mud City Manglers about oh I've been oh you know what it's funny because I was just talking to Ted we all we all went we all went camping this weekend I never thought I'd go camping I never thought I'd like it you know I don't know <laughs> it's do you the best camp it's, it's okay yeah, not in a while but okay. it's, it's great yeah we, we talk fishing a lot on the show okay well you know I'm well, that'll be a conversation for another time because you know where I'm going with this. I think you know where I'm going okay. with this. Um, yes, but <laughs> I've never, I've never, I've never fished, and then probably you know. But but there's obviously a whole lot of that going on, you know, with the camping and things like that, and it's just like uh, it's a whole new experience. But we do a lot of bike riding. So we rode our bikes to D.C. about six years ago from Pittsburgh, which was a, I mean, it wasn't a brutal ride. It was like 365 miles. I think it was, you know, so it was like, I, I learned, it, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, <laughs> we went through, I'll tell you what, we went through like finding ourselves and hating ourselves and hating life and loving, it was, it was quite an experience, let me tell you, but uh, we, we learned how to camp on the fly, so, um, but the Manglers guys are campers, so, um, so we went this weekend with the, you know, social distancing and having all the space in the world and being safe. So uh, anyway, I'm sorry I'm getting off topic. You're probably like Jesus Christ, shut. <laughs> well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to address the the fi the fishing thing. Re <laughs> well, respectfully, because no, just to clarify, because this is something I know you're vocal about um, in your social media is that you're vegan, right? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yeah, yeah it's it's okay. It's, we're, we're respectful of not only your time but of your beliefs, uh, and I'm sure we have some listeners out there who are vegan who uh, maybe would like their voice represented when we talk about fishing from time to time, and that is a, a discussion to be had. So I, I just did want to point that out because I know that for people who might be uh, following your bands for the first time or whatever when they follow you, you are fairly uh, vocal about um, being a vegan. And I, you, it, would it be fair to say that you're something of a community activist? I, yeah, I guess I guess I would I would like to I would like to think that I guess um, that I'm active enough to consider myself an activist. Um, but I do do a lot of, uh, um, 
you know, I've always been involved in um, direct hands-on animal rescue, um, animal welfare, you know, we have a lot of, you know, I live, I live in an area, uh, a part of um, Pittsburgh now, I was on the south, I was a south sider, like, through and through forever, and I moved up the river to, like, a, um, this little pocket where a lot of people do fish, you know, a lot of the, and, and I'm sure, like I said, this is a good, this could be a really good discussion for another time, you know, a lot of yeah, times, yeah. And, and and even with the fact that we could talk about you know fishing and blah blah blah, and I don't want to make you guys feel badly or anything. That's absolutely not my intention. But you know, there's a lot of fishing line, and then we go out and then we have to rescue the the ducks and the geese that are caught in the fishing yeah. line and the hooks and the things. You know what I mean? So it's just kind of like it's 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 definitely um, it all sort of all ties in together. You know, when it comes to things like that. So. Um, but you know, I never that- thought I'd be chasing goose around the river. That's for sure. That's mm-hmm. something. I, I got to say, you know, I have family members who are um, steeped in, in fishing uh, tradition. And also, um, I have a, an aunt who worked for the ASPCA doing animal rescue for a long time. So I know there's two sides to the argument. And, you know, not not to veer off into a whole tangent um, about that. But, I did, you know, I, I, did, I didn't want to, um, like, duck the conversation real quick. Just to show that we are respectful and we know there's different sides to the, to the conversation. Oh, and, yeah, and like I said, you know, guys, you can even... You can even edit this out, you know, if you want. We get, you know, discuss. I definitely do. I'm not here to make you guys feel. I'm not here to make you guys feel badly. I'm here to convert you. That's what I'm here. <laughs> well, oh, man. That's where the conversation I'll be like, but you know, you know. But, um, but yeah, I don't come from that kind of a background, though. You know, too, it's like, like I said, you guys, obviously, you guys, you guys um, have a different, different life experience and growing up experience. So to somebody like me, I'm like, I don't get it. I don't get it. You know, it's, you know, and that's what conversations are good to have. And people kind of understand, you know, you can't, you can't make progress and understand each other if you're not having conversations about this stuff, you know, but then there's also, you know, time to talk to talk about, you know, traveling in the bands. And then there's time to talk about wildlife and advocacy and (laughs) how people feel about certain things, you know, and I'm just, you know, I'm always looking for that platform. You know that. So... (laughs) Yeah, I'm totally comfortable with talking about this kind of stuff here. I like, let's put it this way. If I met someone who agreed with every single thing that I thought, I would kill them because they're boring (laughs) and they're trying to take my life. (laughs) I never thought about the the taking of life. That's like, that could be like single white female, but your version of it. (laughs) You know, like that movie. Do you guys remember that movie where that woman moves into the woman's apartment and she takes over her whole life? That's, that's scary stuff. I just, you know, my my thesis comes from, you know, and maybe I come from a point of privilege that I can say this, but my 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 basis comes from, I'm, you know, I'm always like, I don't, you know, it's again not to challenge, but I'm like, I just don't see my right to take, you know, like like a kid, like like, you know, I, 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 am I a hypocrite? Of course, you know, you, we all do our best. You know, and sometimes we do something. I mean, there were times when, like, I was rescuing a cat, and as I was transporting the cat, you know, a screech owl flew into the grill of my car, and I was on the highway, and I said, I just saved a life, and I just took a life. You know, and it's nice. it's a really complicated way of thinking. You know, as far as as far as as far as that goes, but I was just like, I didn't know where I stood on it, so I just said, okay, I'm. You know, unless I can see something or someone actively consenting, I'm not, I'm just not going to go there. But I'm in a position I can do that, you know. I, I, I'm, I'm lucky that I can make those choices. I just, you know, 
it's it's less about it's less about me feeling that I'm, I want to tell someone what to do or to be bossy. It's about sort of like speaking out, you know, speaking out and sharing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of of course, and um, you know that's that's the only reason I rehashed it a little bit was you know in in reality without without joking. Shout out to our vegan listeners; I'm sure they're out there, and uh, you know they want to hear their point represented a little bit on the show. But um, like I said, we could go on with that, um, but we'll, we'll we'll leave it where it is because at this point, there's really. Um, uh, you know, and obviously we'll give you the opportunity to plug anything else you have, but I, I, the, the only thing we didn't really discuss is, if I'm not mistaken, it was 2006 that you rejoined the band Derkada, right? It was, you know, I think it was later. I think it was later. Okay. Oh God, was it 2006? Um, I think it was later. Um, <laughs> yes, yes, it was. It was because we were, that would have been like, like you said, how this all came off from how long have you been in the Mud City Manglers? And I'm like, did I happen to mention I'm vegan? <laughs> you know. Um, no, I mentioned fishing. <laughs> I mentioned fishing, knowing you were a vegan too. So that was, that wasn't me trying to stir it up. You guys triggered me. It's not fair. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's, yeah, the Banglers I've been in for fi- about 15 years now. And why we're putting out a full length finally, I'm just glad we're doing it. You know, seven inches here and seven inches yeah. there. Lots yeah. of live shows, lots of things like that. So that's kind of, yeah. So Manglers has always been a constant since I started again. And, and behind enemy lines is somewhat intermittent. And then Derkada was, I think Robin, I think actually Robin reached out to Sharon and was like, what do you have? You know, and it was just kind of like, yeah, everyone was kind of ready to reunite and hang out. And what's everybody doing? Let's spend some time together. And it just kind of came up. It really just kind of came from that. It was like friends wanting to get back together and do this, you know. And Sharon was like, what the hell? Let's do it. So, you know, she's in the process of writing now. And she's got, I think she's got about six songs written. And, you know, it's, it's not something, it sounds corny, but it's like sometimes, you know, again, some people can just bang it out and bang it out. And, you know, sometimes it takes a couple of years for somebody to be in the frame of mind to do it. So, uh, so it, yeah, it moves on. It moves on. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just because the, um, uh, the, 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 the point of, you know, usually our show revolves around underground death metal, classic cult releases, things of that nature. So, um, that's kind of like the hook for for some of our listeners is talking about Derkada, talking about Mythic, talking about November's Doom, um, and I don't want to let this Der- Derkada put out. You, you were on the 2012 In Death We Meet album, um, and I really want to recommend that to our listeners to go back and check out if they're not familiar. It's it's very cool, old school Doom Death Raw in the style of maybe like Cyanide Winter um, or or even Mythic um, to be fair and. Um, uh, are are you still? Uh, I, I guess you're kind of just like on on hold doing your own thing with Mud City Manglers, um, and behind enemy lines. And when Derkade is ready, um, you know you, you'll you'll be there. Is it that kind of situation? Yeah, it, it is. It's very much that kind of a situation. And also Derkade, I am not a guitar player, but I play guitar in Derkade because again, you get four friends together and you have two bass players, and somebody's going to have to, you know, somebody's going to have to you know, alter some things, yeah, of course. Uh, which is fine because it's, it's always something I wanted to mess with, but it's, it's, you know, it definitely was a challenge. Like, you know, I'm not a pick player. So, you know, so modifying to playing with a pick is really like, it's a foreign, it's a foreign thing, you know? So as much as it's fun, it's not my comfort zone. So it's, you know, it, it's funny how like that, that gets that of all the bands with, you know, laid, laid back people, that one can be a little bit in its own way a challenging because that's where I'm kind of stepping out, not saying things are technical, but for me, it's just not what I'm used to. So it was kind of nice to try something different and to try something new, but we have like sort of a revolving 
a revolving member of the, of the three of us. Mike is the constant. Mike's been in the band for a while now. Um, Mike was in Cattle Decapitation, and um, he moved back to Pittsburgh. He hasn't been in Cattle in a long time, but he moved back to Pittsburgh because he's originally from just outside of Pittsburgh. And, uh, you know, Terry was like, okay, you know, Terry was, was, was ready to move on. And, and uh, you know, Sharon's like, I don't think we're done yet. So Mike came in, enter Mike, and then Robin and Trish... Trisha Bill, who was in some death metal bands. Now, that's what was weird is Trisha, the guitar player, but she ended up going back and forth with Robin, taking bass duties. And then, but Trish being a guitar player, it's like, now we kind of just have this family sort of, sort of round Robin thing going on with the three of us. So, yeah, so it's kind of interesting to see how this is going to play out in the near future. But again, it's in the writing process now. So it's again, it's kind of all about friendship and who's available and who's around and what's going on and you know we'll see we'll see we'll see what happens when it's time to record. You know, it's definitely going to be interesting, especially when someone like Trish is more than capable of taking care of you know two 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 sides or or potentially me being able to take care of two sides of it. So yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's still in the family. So so that's yeah. kind of. That's, yeah, that's kind of where it is. It's, it's it's definitely like a family sort of environment. Yeah, and that that's great to hear. And also with some bands, it's sometimes it's, it's great when they when they do take time between albums because it shows you they're not just doing it to get on the next tour cycle. Um, and it sounds like um, Sharon and Derkata over the years has been a death metal band that's from the heart and not really doing it like like you said um, when you talked about the initial uh, splitting off to form Mythic. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily always about playing shows or anything. It was about the writing the music and making it from the heart so that's that's good to hear and we'll keep our eyes out um and you know before we let you go we, we do want to be respectful of your time um but we always ask and i don't want to put you on the spot too much but i'm going to have to we ask our guests as you might know to recommend one classic older release and one newer release uh for the listeners and i, I gotta throw a, a wild card in there just because um you, you have some knowledge in, in an area not all our guests do Maybe throw in like a, a hot, like you know, hot three tips for a band going on the road that doesn't know anything about automobiles, uh, like like just to get just to get them on the highway. <laughs> okay, okay. So um, as far as okay, as the releases go, do you want them to be like genre specific or just a? F- no, and and anything you it's anything old and anything fairly new that our listeners uh, might say. Uh, hey, Mary Bielik recommended this. I'm gonna check it out. Well, of course, I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back to my obvious pick, just because every every time I've moved, which I've moved a lot in my in my younger years, and I would always my favorite format is seven inch. It's still my favorite format because it's like it's always all killer, no filler. It leaves you wanting more. It's just like, oh, this is great. You know, I mean, if it was like. We were talking, and I was like, we could just keep putting out seven inches. You know what I mean? Why you got to put it all on one LP? Just keep putting out seven inches. You could put out four a year or whatever. You know, um, but I would say, oh, gosh. Well, well, going back to Dream Death, I think would be fantastic for people to check out, to go back to that, you know, to go. And they actually put, they put, I can't remember the, technically the year was the newer Dream Death, but that was pretty awesome as well. But I always say if somebody is particularly into grindcore, go back for Hideous Manglius. You know, they've been, they, they, they've, 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 they've come and gone as far as releasing some, you know, some, uh, releasing, uh, you know, like some compilation CDs and things like that. Like All Your Friends Are Dead is like, seven inches re-recordings of seven inches old songs new songs so like that's like a nice collection of you know just because you know grindcore's come such a long way over the years and again i like to go back to those guys just because 
you know, I remember playing with, you know, them being from the Pittsburgh area. I had never met them. And then when I was in Mythic, we played our first show in Providence. And Hideous played at that show. So I actually didn't, I knew Sam, but I didn't know the other guys in the band, probably because they were freaking teenagers at the time, you know? And I was just still like, was just so excited that these young guys were just like, you know, playing this kind of music. So I'm always going to recommend that people go back and check out Hideous Manglia. So like, you know, they have two seven inches or, you know, All Your Friends Are Dead is the compilation CD where you can kind of get everything. Um, there's something really, there's something really native in Pittsburgh about it as well. I don't know what it is, but there's just, you know, Pittsburgh's always like their sort of, their era also is sort of that night, that maybe not them particularly, but to me, you know, Pittsburghers all have their Night of the Living Dead worship. You know, or you know, uh, you know, Dawn of the Dead. You know, worship yeah, because of you yeah. know of the local connections and things like that. And it just sort of feels like, you know, it just feels like old horror to me. So I would say go back and grab, uh, you know, either of the two hideous seven inches or All Your Friends Dead, and which I think is only on CD. Unless somebody else pressed it over the years and I didn't know about it. So that would be like an older band that I think if people are in underground music they should check out. Um, there is a band from Pittsburgh who just released a new record called Lady Beast, who I would say the best, if you know, to give to just blurt out a genre would be power metal. And they, you know, so if you like a lot of riffing and you like guitar harmonies, and Deb, the vocalist, has a killer voice. Um, they have uh, Amy now just joined playing bass. She's doing vocals with Deb and harmonies and we didn't even know Amy was Amy was the new addition as of I think two months ago and on the on June 20th um, they're doing I think it's at 4 p.m. Eastern time they're gonna do like a live streaming show so Lady Beast but they just put out a new record and uh, Deb also organizes the Metal Immortal Fest which she was having her second fest in June that got canceled you know which is at that at that show that this it's it's sort of a smorgasbord of different genres, you know, like um, Exum was scheduled to play and Deceased, you know, and then a lot of newer and some older power metal bands uh, from all over the country. So their new release just came out, uh, so I would check out the new Lady Beast, uh, which I'm waiting for my copy to arrive right now. So those are those are some records. Um, and right. then I think, I mean, I could go on forever, but... Um, Especially because I'm moonlighting right now at a record store while our building is getting fixed up because we have a, a DIY venue and a and a you know vegan grocery store that we're supposed to be opening but obviously with COVID and things like that stuff's on hold, you know. Um, so I've been moonlighting with some friends at a uh, at Attic Records. So we all we do is talk about records. So picking one is is difficult. Um, and car tips, you know uh, the. <laughs> people are like what's the most what's the most you know what, what's the best tool I can take on the road your freaking AAA membership or you know they just <laughs> I'm serious yes. because like even yes. you know like you said you're on the road but you know what you especially if you have a van full of stuff you're not taking your tools with you you might have basic things tire irons you know you might have like like a torque wrench and some other things like that you know some like like a little ratchet set but like you you know if you i have friends who've who've changed you know starters who've gotten to like auto zone and gotten back and gotten under the car and actually replaced starters on the road and done some suspension work but the chances that you're going to actually be able to have the tools to do that you know, but I would say a full-size spare tire 
mm. if you can fit it is great because you know like time is money and money is time and if you miss your show then you might have missed that 100 bucks 200 bucks that's going to get you to the next city so if you can take a full-size spare versus a donut you know if you're in the middle of the highway you're only supposed to go 45 miles an hour 40 miles an hour on a donut that'll get you to you know what i mean that'll get you to like the, the tire shop but you're going to lose a lot of time so you know it, it, that's i would say full-size spare and always know like no simple things like how to jump your vehicle you know the signs that it's a battery the sign that it's not a battery if it's not starting um you know check your tire pressure regularly measure the treads but if you have a full-size spare you can just you know lock it down and and go and you know bam so that uh triple a membership keep your cell phone charged keep your cell phone charger on write your phone numbers in your wallet so in case your cell phone dies you can get a hold of people and also like know know what the vin is and where it's located because if you get in any situation on the road and you have to order a part your VIN, which is your vehicle identification number, gives you year, make, model, engine size, stuff you might not know about your car. You know, it's like, it's like the thumbprint of the car. There's no other car that has, no cars have the same VIN. So if you're stuck and you need to tell somebody, you know, I got, I got this, I need a battery for my car and you don't understand cold cranking amps or some stuff like that, you know, know where your VIN's located and, you know, multiple places on the car. I won't get into that because you can Google that. And if you give the VIN, don't say VIN number because that's redundant. That's like saying VIN, you know, vehicle identification number, number. Right, like ATM machine. <laughs> you know what I say all the time. I do. I'm always like, yeah, ATM machine, VIN number. So if you know your <laughs> VIN, if you know where it's located in your car, you know, and it's usually in the door jam or the sticker, blah, 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 look it up, that will give anybody that you need to get help from, that'll let them know exactly what your car is. Does that make sense? Okay. Was that three things? Was that yes. too much? Oh, that was perfect. No, no, that's that's good. That's VIN number, uh, spare tire, um, as opposed to a donut, and uh, your AAA. That's solid, especially for our young young guns. Uh, you know, g- God willing, things get back to normal, and uh, some of these younger bands can get out on the road and make those classic mistakes again uh, and learn from them that we've all made safely. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. For sure. Definitely guys. It's important, you know, like, you know, Hey, you know what? I, there's, there's times I've had to call AAA because, you know, something went on my car that I don't have a park. It's three o'clock. You know what I mean? I got to get a tow and I got to get there safely. So, you know, the most important thing, don't be a hero. Uh, Don't be ashamed to call somebody for help. So, but yeah, awesome. Awesome. A good, good advice. Solid advice. Um, and be safe out there, everybody. And uh, also, Hideous Manglius um, is one of the most strong cult recommendations we've had on, I think, the history of the podcast. I'm vaguely familiar. I just know it's like a cult band. Um, also, strong with the Rotrevor talk. Uh, this, this is a strong recommendation episode. Um, Mary Bielik, we really appreciate you and your time uh, this evening. And before we let you get off the hook, we just want to give you the opportunity to plug anything. You mentioned that the Mud City Manglers is the band that you're currently doing a lot of work with, and it's a new record's coming out soon. Anything else you want to plug um, or promote or talk about before uh, we get off the phone, or any um, uh, any shout-outs or anything for your fans or listeners of our show? Well, I think, thank you guys for talking to me. Um, I, I, I could I could thank you guys for the next hour, but already, you know, I know we started half an hour late. So I can't thank you enough for giving me the platform and for giving me the time 
to talk. It was an absolute pleasure. And, you know, I'm just give a shout out to the world. Everyone be good to one another. You know what I mean? It's trying times. And, you know, it's a good it's a good time. To, it's a good time to reflect and think about putting yourself in somebody else's shoes right now. Excellent point. Yeah. And um, and uh, again, we appreciate your time. It was a fun conversation, Mary. And um, we really appreciate it. We'll be in touch uh, when the episode's uploaded. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much. And thanks for uh, taking the time. Thanks for taking so much effort to talk to people and to put this out there for people. It really, I'm, it was, I'm sure it was a lifeline for a lot of people. You know, people were kind of freaking out. It was a unique time. And, you know, getting the chance to, to, to be um, informed and entertained simultaneously you know especially now is you know what a treat so you know thanks for <laughs> thanks for thanks for including me in the in the fun and the conversation I, I appreciate it more than i think you guys could know so thanks so much catch you later mary all right guys take it easy have a good one we'll be in touch take care bye Okay, uh, so Metal Mary Bielik, that was um, quite an interview, man. I really enjoyed that. She had a lot of, she's been in a lot of different genres of bands, uh, a little bit of everywhere, man. Yeah, I'm starting to rethink Seven Inches. You know what? I got to admit, she made a, a convincing case for with the all killer, no filler type of thing. I'm more of like a, an, an LP guy. I want the whole album if I'm going to invest in the vinyl, but uh, I do have to, I'm neglecting my Seven Inch collection a little bit, man. I got I to, gotta, you know. She had some great points about it. I never really thought of it like that way, but I like that uh, you know, th- that unique style of um, just getting a few songs out there and, and punch you in the face with them. They missed the opportunity with their uh, really small CDs uh, in the 2000s when those were coming out. You know, oh my god, the remember those? The, yeah, the little those like mi- like four inch mini, CDs, the mini discs. Stuff. Yeah, those should have been pushed more. Those and laser discs really fell by the wayside. Rest in peace. Right. DVDs that look like vinyl, CDs that look like. GameCube games. I love it. There you go. Yeah, listen, I need you guys to uh, recommend me a documentary about GameCube on Laserdisc. And if you can't do that, then let's just talk metal right now. What's go- what's going on? Yeah, let's go with the metal. <laughs> All right, okay. Tim. It's that time of the night, ladies and gentlemen. Recommendations. So, Justin? All right, people. Notebooks out. Um, my recommendation this week, I have the band Terminal Nation. Their new single, Holocene Extinction, uh, off of their debut record of the same name, coming out on 20 Bucks Spin this August. Yeah, this band has been around for a little, uh, a couple of years, uh, putting out some demos and seven inches. You know, there you go. And got picked up by 20 Bucks Spin. Very fucking cool. Heavily politically lyric based, uh, hardcore, death grind ish, power violence kind of band uh, based out of Arkansas. So they kind of promote. You know, these um, uh, lyrics calling out racial injustices and uh, systematic corruption uh, coming from a deep, deeply red, you know, conservative state like Arkansas. And that's that's their vibe. So they go out uh, every show and they're very, um, you know, uh, loud about about their convictions and and, and what they believe in. And you got to respect that. And they fucking rip it live. Very fun. So this track, uh, Holocene Extinction, the title track. 
very heavy, churning, uh, groove, kind of dismember sounds a little bit uh, with this brooding, haunting solo uh, kind of right slap in the middle. Uh, it's pretty catchy, you know, to me, and uh, fucking just just mean shit. Uh, I love it. And if they incorporate more of the, the power violence grind influence that they did in a lot of their previous uh, releases, this is going to be a fucking awesome uh, album later this summer. So very much looking forward to it. Very uh, timely release. Um, and I, I, I found that they have an interesting sound. You talked about power violence. I thought they blended power violence, maybe in the vocals a little bit, with death metal. Mm-hmm in a way that I wasn't used to, um, and it was very interesting. You know, usually if you tell me that a band blends power violence and death metal, that might kind of turn me off with what I concoct in my imagination, but these guys blended it in a very interesting way, um, and there was kind of like that appreciation for atmosphere that you get with death metal a little bit, man, and, and uh, the, when you know when you think power violence, sometimes people picture something that's a little bit slapstick or funny. Um, you know, a lot mm-hmm. of a lot of power violence bands have a little bit of a sarcastic sense of humor, but um, it's not it's not like a silly sound. It's it's um, a real really interesting sound and um, a little different, man. I, I definitely enjoyed this and uh, in, right kind of like a an interesting um, band for twenty bucks spin, like kind of a different sound than I pictured. Uh, you know, like the twenty bucks spin roster. You know, but yeah, uh, kind of a new thing all around, man. All right, I'm bringing an old one in tonight. What do you got? Dust uh, it off. What's up? I'm bringing in Embryonic Deaths 1993 Stream of Solidarity demo. You oh, bastard. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This guy. This guy took it all the way old school. Well, not all the way, but most of the way old school. <laughs> most uh, of the way. <laughs> and Audis. Well, because Embryonic Death, the classic uh, Regurgitate the Dead demo, which preceded this um, streams of solidarity that Tom wants to talk about. Tom, you just got me amped up. I'm still on the coffee. I'm sorry. You take over. <laughs> no, it's all good. I, I knew you'd have a lot to say about this. I'm emotional over Long Island Death Metal. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and what a good, what a fantastic band. You know, their first three demos they released, excellent, brutal death metal. But Stream of Solidarity really speaks to me in like the um, experimental songwriting fashion. Yes. Wow. Like um, it is. It's strange. It's like you're running through ivy the entire time. You don't really know. Like you can't see in front of you. You know it's moving around. It has this um, the, the, this structure that seems so loose and rigid at the same time. I, I like soaking in this this one. You know, I think it's a good it's a good go back to. It's short, so you can do this like almost religiously once you find something in it that really gets your attention. But um, it, it's got this human remains spirit without being a human remains knockoff. Very yeah. much their own yeah. voice, um, you know. Bands that we talk about a little later down the line, like Psyopus and Redcord, I feel like 
borrowed a lot from what this band was doing. Definitely the Psyopus with this specific uh, demo. I don't know. I don't know for sure if Chris Arp was listening to this, but sure shit sounds like he was. And um, if you're not familiar with Embryonic Death, uh, check out the entire catalog. There is a uh, compilation that's been put out. And the last thing that they put out was the the demo uh, that I'm talking about, Stream of Solidarity. That is also on the compilation uh, for those of you who are streaming. So it's a good way to take this band in and really appreciate how ahead of their time they were. Absolutely. Um, I concur. I got to admit, at the time, well, you know, at, at the time this came out, I wasn't really the underground guy, but uh, catching on to Death Metal 96, 97 with people who were a little bit older, obviously, uh, I heard a lot about Embryonic Death. And the Regurgitate the Dead demo is kind of like your classic, um, you know, guttural vocals, chunky. Uh, death metal a few years ahead of its time a little bit in that respect and then they totally switched gears with this and you know you could compare it maybe loosely to like your pestilence your death uh even cynic or atheist at certain moments but it's mm-hmm. got, like you're right human remain it goes on and on it's just in a class by itself and you could group it in with bands that are in a class by that themselves for um like progressive technical death metal of that period and they did break up uh, allegedly this is, uh, I've heard a story, I was not there, that um, before they broke up, they were like, they had like guys in clown suits dancing on stage and were playing more of a new metal style. Um, that could just be a <laughs> nice. tall tale or something that's been exaggerated through the years. But I do know Embryonic Death has a website where you can sign up to be on their email list and they're apparently planning new material. Uh, and I have seen the members active on social media. Uh, the last few months, um, you know, we, we I did put the heavy hole podcast at gmail.com on the um, the mailing list for that. Awesome. We are on the scene. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yes, yeah, so embryonic death, man. You, you hit me hard. You, you clocked me right over the head with this like it was a normal recommendation, Tom. Um, but uh, this is and also our, you know, our Patreon listeners know I'm starting my series of Long Island death metal bands. Uh, and this will definitely be on one episode. So um, this is a great place for people to start, man. I'm not. I'll stop now and I'll save it for that bonus episode. Okay, tonight I'm bringing you guys something that's um, fairly new, uh, not not 100% new. I'm bending the rules a little bit, man, but it's okay. Uh, you know why? Because I make the rules. This is um, Odious Embowel, if I said that right, which I, I love the name, Odious Embowel. It's kind of like a play on words. Uh, originally from New Zealand, now I believe uh, based out of Australia. Uh, and I've, I'm recommending their 2016 EP, Mephitic Sermon. Um, they have done uh, a, a few releases prior to that and a release after that. They started out in the early 2000s under the name Flesh Wound and kept going. Um, something to get into, but this Mephitic Sermon EP they put out a few years back, uh, it really captures something that um, we've talked about on the show. Uh, it's kind of, you, you hear a bit of maybe like that skinless uh, and scattered remnants inspired groove, that northeastern death metal sound, I guess you could say, that we've talked about from time to time. Uh, these guys do it in an interesting way because a lot of times, I gotta tell you, my ears are just saturated sometimes when I hear groove-oriented death metal and it's a newer band, I just think, okay, here come the slams, 
and it's it's tough for me to um to, to get into. I'm not trying to knock anybody. There's great bands out there that do it, but there's a lot of them. And I listen to a lot of them when I'm going through music for the podcast. This really hit my ears. These guys are doing it in a special way that brings me back to the 90s. They have a very tasteful ear for the grooves and the riffs. And I, I got to say, the drummer is just hitting everything right in that that um, uh, that special way you need kind of uh, to, to make this, I guess, to kind of make this 90s groove death metal and not like current slam deathcore. I don't, I don't know, man. You know, it's, it's like we said, it's a big blurry area with that. But these guys definitely hit it for an old school head like me from the 90s. And they did actually do a cover of the song Vaginal Vomit by Scattered Remnants, which is kind of like their cult song that a lot of people like. Uh, And they nailed it. They nailed it head to toe from the opening riff to the closing riff vocals. The drummer particularly, I feel like, stands out because it's a very signature style. Um, Shout out to Eric Roy from Scattered Remnants. We talked to on our mega Scattered Remnants episode. And um, we talked about how Eric Roy has a very signature drum style, especially in terms of some of his fills and his grooves. And the drummer of Odious and Bow nailed it here, as did the vocalist and the guitars. Everybody, um, you know, it's, it's a great cover. But if you're familiar with Scattered Remnants, um, you know, these guys did a, a really nuanced version of it, and they nailed it. And the rest of the EP is awesome. It's a quick listen, a little bit over 15 minutes. I believe you can get it on YouTube and Bandcamp and check out the band and, and what they're doing, man. But... Um, that's that's it for me, man. Odious and Bow with Mephitic Sermon. Really great 90s death metal-inspired EP. Yeah, sonically, it's perfect, man. That mix is oh, yeah. right there, man. It's like every part of it, the writing, the way the way it's performed, the way it's mixed, they all serve each other so well. It's, it's a perfect balance. This is another example of Australia kind of taking that, that U.S. influence or that East Coast influence and fucking giving it back to us uh, in, in a... In a very exciting way, you know? Yes, yes. Okay, Odious and Bow, uh, and our, our guest tonight, uh, Mary Bielik. Um, we appreciate her time, uh, enjoyed her stories, uh, a lot of different stories. She's been in a, um, a lot of different musical acts over the years. We encourage the listeners to go back and check out uh, all those classic albums that she's been part of, um, and of course to watch for the new Mud City Manglers uh, recording that's coming out soon, uh, and anything else that she's involved in. Um, really appreciate getting her on the show. That was a good conversation. Yeah, definitely am. Getting out of the uh, ethereal music metal and getting your hands dirty with actual metal from car parts. Uh, you know, that's the full spectrum. And we thank uh, Mary for speaking about all of it tonight on the Heavy Hole Podcast. And if you're interested in all of the beautiful things that we have uh, available on our heavyholepodcast.com, you can go to heavyholepodcast.com and peruse our social media links. Uh, our voicemail number where you can call and holler at us. Uh, even if you're on the side of the road, we're not AAA. We're not going to come out at night, but you can leave us a voicemail about it. Um, maybe somebody will come out. Uh, no guarantee on that one, allegedly. Uh, and if you want, um, uh, maybe you get a, a little little fender bender, you need something to cover that up on the bumper there, uh, Justin will send you uh, a sticker pack uh, free of charge um, just, just for you because we know what you're going through. 
but you got to have that promo code, right? Yeah, I mean, listen, if you want to send me uh, an email explaining your situation, maybe the size and dimensions of the dent uh, on your bumper, what you hit, I will definitely send you free sticker pack. No problem. Cover that shit up. You know, save the Band-Aids for uh, for when you slice your hands on, I don't know, climbing a fence into somewhere dangerous. Uh, Oh, boy, allegedly. But if, uh, yeah, if you want to go to heavyholepodcast.com slash shop, you can still get free shipping on the uh, one piece of merch so far, uh, the sticker pack. Uh, type in the promo code Chunky Riffs, and uh, we're going to be working on getting some more uh, stuff in there for you now. But Chunky Riffs, free shipping, heavyholepodcast.com slash shop. Yeah, the the original, man. That's that's like Little V's Pizza. They got the one slice, and that's what you get. We got the sticker pack, and that's what you get. Because when you do it right, guys, how many products do you really need? Yeah, just, just one. one. I, true. All right, you guys want to hear a true story? Was um, was the art teacher Mrs. still teaching at Huntington High School when when you guys were there? She was a lady with like long frizzy hair. She was a very eccentric art teacher. You'd remember her if you had her. No, I, yeah. I, I didn't. Know okay, her. she probably retired after my class, man. We drove her so nuts, man. Um, we had some project where we all had to put up like the the you know it was like the primitive Photoshop class that they had in like '99 when I was there, like the first ever Photoshop class. And we all had to make something, and then we would display it on the computer screen in the computer lab, and she would come around and look at each one. And I just had some collage I made of that cover of the embryonic death regurgitate the dead demo. On the- oh, God. <laughs> and she, like, came by, and she saw mine, and she just she just clicked the, the monitor off and kept going. <laughs> <laughs> I was such an edgy 17-year-old, man. It was so good.